Good morning. I'm Bill Hatcher, one of your elders, and this morning we'll be reading from the book of Acts. So if you will, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 8. And if you're using one of the uh, pew Bibles in the seat in front of you, it's on page 917. So Acts 8, beginning in verse 26 down through 35. Acts 8, 26 to 35. Please stand with me in the reading of God's word. This is about uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture... He told him the good news about Jesus. It's our custom at Christ Community Church to take a few minutes and reflect on this word. So please have a seat and do so. Good morning. If you want to keep uh, your Bible open, uh, just we'll be going through Acts chapter 8 there and looking at the verses. It's such a pleasure uh, to be here with you this morning and have friends and people from out of town. And uh, uh, it's just a, an honor to open up God's word and, and to get to talk to you. Um, one of the most famous home runs in World Series history, it happened on an October night in 1932 in Game 3 of the World Series at Wrigley Field in Chicago. If you're a Cubs fan... You know this. At the top of the fifth inning, Babe Ruth comes to the plate. And he's already at this point kind of a larger-than-life figure. Uh, He steps up to the plate. All the players on the bench of the Cubs are are just, like, making fun of him. Uh, They're casting aspersions on him. And so he's kind of talking back to them. And uh, he's at the plate, two balls, two strikes. And then this moment happens that if you're a baseball fan, and I'm not even that much of a baseball fan, but I still think this is awesome. This moment will be ever etched in history because he steps up to the plate and he takes two fingers and he points to the back of the stands. And then he crushes the next pitch way deep into the center field seats. 
It's a home run, and the whole crowd goes crazy. And the best part was, I guess not if you're a Cubs fan, but the best part is, he called his shot. He said what he was going to do, and then he did it. Okay, why is that awesome? Because I think it's awesome. I mean, I think that's incredible. He steps up to the plate, and he says, this is exactly what I'm going to do, and guess what? I'm going to do it. And then he does it. I think, now you might think asking why that's awesome is like asking why ice cream is awesome or a guitar solo is awesome or a sunset is awesome. You're like, it's, it just is. It's just awesome because it is. But I want to say that I think the reason that that is awesome, the reason calling your shot like that is awesome is because there's something godlike in the called shot. When Babe Ruth pointed to the stands, this is what he was saying. He was claiming that he had the power to direct events to his predetermined will. He was saying, watch me do it. And then he did it. I want you to know God does this all the time in the Bible. Because what scripture says is that God is almighty. He's ever present. He's powerful. He upholds everything by his hand. Uh, the, the, every hair on your head, every blade of grass, everything, nothing happens without him saying so. And God all the time calls his shots beforehand. He says, this is what I'm going to do. And then he does it because he's God, because he's all powerful. He accomplishes his will. And because he's all knowing, he sees what's going to happen beforehand. Because that's who God is. When he calls a shot, he makes a shot. And what I want to submit to you is that the book of Acts is one big called shot by God. In the very beginning, this is what he does. Uh, Jesus comes together with his disciples in Acts chapter 1 after he's risen from the dead. And just before, when they, when, they, uh, when they all come together, just before he's about to be raised up into heaven, they ask him, Lord, what are you doing about the kingdom? You said you were going to bring the kingdom to Israel. What are you doing? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons that God has fixed by his own authority. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. But... And this is a prediction and a promise. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That happened at Pentecost. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus makes a prediction and a promise that the gospel will spread through the work of the disciples, this little band of people from Jerusalem, kind of the center of the Jewish faith, to Judea and Samaria, kind of the, the outer suburbs, the... Um, the Pender and Brunswick counties, if you will, to the ends of the earth, like literally the other side of the earth. And that's the story of the book of Acts. That's exactly what happens. The message of the gospel goes out from Jerusalem and Judea, the first seven chapters, then to Samaria and Antioch, where the non-Jewish people, which the Bible calls the Gentiles, lived. And that's in Acts kind of 8 through 12. That's the section that we're in. And then through the apostle Paul in the second half of the book, it goes to the ends of the earth. It goes to the edge of the Roman Empire, the, end, the edge of the known earth. It's one big called shot. God points, he says, this is what I'm going to do, and then he accomplishes his will. And so what I want us to look at, we're at this, this special place in Acts chapter 8. We're right on the cusp of the gospel going to this brand new group of people, the, 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 non, the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And this has never happened before in the history of of God's people. And so there's this this crucial moment of expansion where the church is kind of on the cusp of the next phase of growth. 
which kind of we are in Christ Community Church. I mean, we're talking about the next phase of growth for our church. and We're saying, what's it going to look like when we kind of step over this ledge into the, the great beyond and see what the next 15 years of our church is going to be like? So there's a lot of application for us, I think. Through this passage, I, I want to see what it looks like for us to join God in the work that he's already doing, that he's already promised to do, that he's promised to accomplish. So what does it look like for us to join God in his work, in his mission? Because God's working, God's moving, God's calling his shots. And if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to work with him, we want to be a listening, speaking, and welcoming people. And those are the three points. We'll be listening, we want to be speaking, and want to be welcoming. So first, because God is speaking, uh, we want to be a listening people. Uh, the church doesn't have to guess what God wants her to do. Not in Acts chapter 8 and not now, because our God is a speaking God. Uh, he speaks directly through his word to his people. Uh, Acts uh, 1.8, Jesus says, hey, this is my plan for you. Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Those are your marching orders. Um, uh, Matthew 28, Jesus uh, gives the great commission, and he says, uh, you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Go and make, go, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them. Uh, we don't have to guess what God's will is for our life in terms of uh, his moral law, right? Because we have God's word. We have the Ten Commandments. We have uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So God's, God has written down generally what his will is for our life. Uh, we don't have to guess that. And as Philip is approaching this man on the road, his marching orders... When he's approaching this man on the road and he, he sees this chariot, he has a general idea of what he's supposed to be doing, right? Uh, from knowing the recorded words of God. Oh, I'm supposed to be a witness. I'm supposed to be teaching. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be um, telling about Jesus, who he is and, and what he has done. And not only that, he doesn't just have the words of Jesus. He has the Old Testament talking about God's plan, not just for the Jewish people, but for the nations, Listen to this, Genesis 26, 4. God's talking to Abraham. He's saying, through your offspring, Abraham, through the Jewish people, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Psalms 22, 27 through 28, this is what it says. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you. Kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. In the prophets, Isaiah 11, I love this. In that day, the heir to David's throne... He'll be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations are going to rally to him. And in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand to bring back the remnant of his people. And where are they? They're in Assyria, in northern Egypt, in southern Egypt, in Ethiopia, in Elam, in Babylonia, Hamath, and all the distant coastlands. God's going to gather the scattered people from the ends of the earth. The early church didn't make this up on their own. They had all this momentum, all this freight from the Old Testament saying, God's plan is for the nations. God's plan is bigger than just the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Um, but sometimes we have a hard time remembering these things. Sometimes we have a hard time uh, wanting to do what God's word already says that we should do. And so sometimes what God does is he steps in directly and he speaks personally to apply the words of Scripture to our specific situation and to our hearts. And so that's what happens here. Sometimes God speaks through the Word, and sometimes He also speaks directly uh, through the Spirit. Now, if that makes you nervous, by the way, the book of Acts is going to make me really nervous. 
Uh, if it, now, I'm not saying that, that saying God speaks directly through his spirit to God's people is not license to just say, you know, um, God's telling me that I need to take a nap today uh, because I'm really tired, because I feel really tired. And it's not a license to say anything or to call something that God's doing uh, to kind of say something that's contradictory to the word of God. So for me to say, oh, you know what God's really calling me to do? Not love my neighbor as myself. Not be forgiving. Not be generous. You know, thou shalt not steal. The Spirit's telling me, give me your stuff. <laughs> so that, that's not what I mean when I'm saying the Spirit is talking directly to his church. What the Spirit is doing in the book of Acts is God has said, I'm giving you my Spirit to be your counselor, to be with you. And so the Spirit applies the general command to share things about Jesus, tell the story of who Jesus is to specific situations, to say to Philip, hey, Philip, go to this place. Because Philip wouldn't have thought of that on his own just reading the Great Commission. He wouldn't have thought of that on his own just looking in the book of Psalms. So it's very interesting how specific God is with Philip. This doesn't happen all over the book of Acts, but it happens at very key, important times. God steps in personally to push his people to do something that either they weren't really wanting to do on their own or they weren't really sure that they should do on their own. So this should let us know when when the Spirit speaks to Philip, when the angel of the Lord shows up in verse 26 here, we should say something really important is happening in the history of God's people. And so that's what it is. Um, The angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. And he says, hey, you're having this great ministry in Samaria. I want you to go to this deserted place where no one is on this road that's like a two days journey from where you are. I just want you to walk. And I'm not going to tell you what next to do. (laughs) And so he goes for two days. And then he's there on the road and no one else is there. And he sees a chariot come. And he's like, spirit, you better say something else because I don't know what to do. And the spirit says, go and run up next to that chariot. By the way, do you think he felt awkward running up to a moving chariot in the middle of the desert? Do you think he thought, God, this better be you and not just what I haven't eaten for the last two days? So he's running up next to this chariot. <laughs> and, and I just I, I think it's it's so amazing to look at. Philip's sensitivity to God's leading. And as a church, could we just at least take that away, that that we want to be sensitive to God's spirit, that we want to be people who are um, pliable, who are moldable, who who want to be uh, in line with what God is doing. And so um, even if it sounds kind of crazy, let's run it by each other, let's check it. Uh, But let's be willing to go where God calls us to do, where, where he calls us. And God doesn't just speak through scripture. He doesn't just speak through his spirit, which confirms uh, the general commands of scripture. He also speaks to us indirectly through our situations. Now, if you look at the beginning of chapter eight, uh, there's a situation that arises where uh, the church in Jerusalem, which had kind of existed and been tolerated um, for uh, the better part of a year, one of uh, the deacons, one of the Greek-speaking uh, Jewish men who is in charge of distributing food to needy widows, gets up and makes a speech in one of the synagogues. 
and all of the synagogue rulers, all of the authorities, they stone him outside the city. They, they, they execute him. They put him to death. And then they start throwing all the Christians in prison. There's this big persecution that arises. And this is the situation that drives all of God's people out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. Right where God wanted them to go. And so what we need to remember is that sometimes God orchestrates situations. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. But sometimes he speaks through circumstances to push us in the direction that he wants us to go. And what we should expect is even difficult circumstances, even really, really hard, really painful circumstances, because we have a good God and because we have a powerful God, we should expect that he's going to be bringing something good out of it, uh, something that's in line with his will uh, for our lives. So as God's people, I I just want us to to think uh, of God's, leading and speaking. This isn't like a GPS, right? Because a GPS, if you don't follow the instructions, I mean, you're not going to get where you're supposed to go. But uh, it's not personal. The GPS, it's, it's not a personal matter whether you obey the GPS or not. You're free to do that. But God is our Father. And God deals with us personally. Uh, so when God gives us a, um, a prompting, when God gives us his commands, we need to ask um, do we really want to obey? I mean, if we're, we're looking for his will. Do we want to do his will? Uh, one of our children uh, will sometimes do this. We're, we're kind of telling them not to do something. Like, don't touch that thing. And then they'll look at us, and right as we're saying it, they go, yep. <laughs> and they're like reaching to touch that thing right as we're telling them, don't touch that thing. Do we do that with God? <laughs> I mean, does God's word ever say to you, hey, this is who I want you to be? And we go, yes, I get that. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to do what I want to do, if that's okay with you, God. Um, so do, do we have ears to hear? Are we interested in being led by God's spirit? What is God saying to you in his word? What's he saying to you uh, internally through his spirit? Uh, what's he saying to you in your situation? What's he saying to us as a church in our situation? But uh, if we want to be uh, working with God in his plans, we don't want to just be a listening people. We want to be a speaking people. And the reason we want to be a speaking people is God has given us news. God has given given, uh, his church a message. And because he has given us news, we speak. Now, this passage is one of the only examples that we have in the New Testament of someone just personally, one-on-one, talking about Jesus to another person. We have speeches, you have um, a sermon that Paul gives to a bunch of philosophers in the um, Areopagus in Athens, uh, but this is one of the only times where it's just like two people sitting over a cup of coffee having a conversation about the Bible and what it means. And so, um, you know, because the Bible doesn't just give us one specific way of doing it, I think we want to be careful not to draw out this rote like kind of system or method on how to talk about Jesus, how to be a witness for Jesus to people. Uh, but I think we can draw some important observations about what kind of speaking helps to be productive in moving the kingdom forward. So just a couple observations. Like Philip, uh, we want to speak with people, not at people. <laughs> now, uh, Philip comes uh, up and he's running up to the chariot and he starts with a question. <laughs> 
He doesn't start with an answer. Uh, He starts and he says, in verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? What a beautiful question, right? He's saying, I'm concerned. I want you to understand. I'm ready to tell you. Um, I'm interested in you. I want you to know. And the eunuch's response, the guy who's sitting in the chariot's response is, finally, someone wants to help me. Yes, come on in. And so he comes in, Philip comes into the chariot, not because he's pushing his way in, not just God told me to, so I'm going to barge my way in your chariot. He comes in because he was invited, which I think is instructive for us as Christians. That we want to speak with people. We don't want to speak at people. And if you're a non-Christian here, you you probably are really sick uh, of Christians doing that. And honestly, I don't blame you. Because it doesn't respect people to speak at them. It honors people who are made in God's image to speak with them. And so uh, he speaks with him. And when you speak with someone, you you, want to know their story. And I just, I can't help but think this Ethiopian eunuch had a really interesting story. Because of a couple interesting things about him. One, um, he's an Ethiopian eunuch, which means he's an, an African person. Uh, probably he lived in Sudan, not in Ethiopia, uh, because the, the kingdom back then was like Sudan, right south of Egypt. And he wasn't just any ordinary Ethiopian. He was like the CFO of the Candace dynasty. So there was this queen who ruled the Candace dynasty, and he was in this really important position. But something interesting, if you wanted to work for a queen back in the ancient world, you had to become a eunuch. Because if you're going to be in that top level of, um, of uh, privacy and intimacy with someone, and you were male, you had to be castrated. Which, this guy has a really interesting story. So he was thinking, okay, success is really important. Money's really important. My job is really important. I'm going to sacrifice absolutely everything to get money, to get success to get ahead in the eyes of the world. And so he's going to give up a chance at a family. He's going to give up a chance at a legacy, which were hugely important things in the ancient world. So this guy's saying, I'm laying it all on the table, and I'm just going all in for money. I'm going all in for success. I'm going all in for my job. But we find something else that's interesting. He's a worshiper of the God of the Jews. This man who's all the way in Egypt has somehow in this position of being rich and powerful, found out about this God. This God whose temple is in Jerusalem, and he's saying, I'm searching for something. Maybe this God has what I'm searching for. And so he goes to Jerusalem. And when he made the trip to Jerusalem, what he would have found is that he went to the temple. He couldn't get in. Because Deuteronomy 23.1 says, because of the ceremonial laws, a eunuch can't come in the temple, even if a eunuch wants to worship. And a foreigner can't go past the, the outer courts of the temple, the court of the Gentiles. So he's like doubly outcast because he's a eunuch and because he's not Jewish. And so he has this unfulfilled desire to know God, to worship God. 
and he's frustrated. And so then this man comes along the road and he says, do you want me to explain something to you about the God of the Israelites? And he's like, finally, I've been tra- traveled a thousand miles to just hear about him. And finally, nobody would, everyone was like casting me out. And finally, someone's welcoming me in and wanting to, to explain the Bible to me. And they have a conversation. And when they have a conversation, when Philip opens his mouth, he speaks about Jesus. And this is just great. I mean, and he keeps it simple. And I think it's instructive for us that when we, um, when we go to speak with people, let's just major on Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. And the passage that they're in, I mean, it's a beautiful place to start, right? And, and if the Ethiopian asks like the best question ever, which he, he just reads this passage, which is very clearly talking about Jesus's execution. It's a prophecy and a prediction about Jesus's execution. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer was silent, so he opened not his mouth. Like the hymn says, he never said a, a mumbling word. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. His life was taken away from the earth. And he's going... Who is this about? I've been reading in Isaiah about this servant who was going to be sent by God. And he was God's special uh, person that was going to be a ruler. And he was, was going to usher in the new age of God's kingdom. But it looks like this is strange. I didn't expect this to happen. That He's getting killed? What is this? And so he asks a great question. Who was this man? And Philip gives him like the perfect Sunday school answer, which is, It's Jesus. <laughs> And that's the answer in Sunday school. If you ever need to answer a question, you just go, Jesus, right? And it usually is the answer. The whole book of the Bible, all 66 books, the whole story of the Bible is about Jesus. It's about God's plan to redeem a people for himself. And it worked worked itself out through all of human history. And in the early church, what they did, their preaching was basically they looked back at the Old Testament And they talked about all the ways it predicted what Jesus would do and who he was and what he would accomplish. And they said, it's happened. It just happened like a couple months ago. This is about Jesus. Come and believe in him. Know about him. This is really true. This isn't just some story. It's not just some fairy tale. This happened in history because his grave is empty and we saw him. He's alive. And this is true. They looked in the Old Testament and they said, you know, that true king that God promised to redeem his people, that's Jesus. The true prophet that would give us the final revelation of God, that was Jesus. The true priest who would make a sacrifice to bring forgiveness and healing to all of God's people, that's Jesus. Wherever you are in the scriptures, they're all speaking of Jesus, either looking forward to him, looking at him directly in the gospels, or looking back at who he is and what he's done. And Philip, I think it's so great. This skill is incredible. No matter where he is in the Bible, he can kind of get his bearings and bring it back to Jesus. So what what I just want to ask us is as a church, can we do that? I mean, are you familiar enough with the story? Do you love the story enough that if we just plop you down somewhere in the Bible, can you you lead the way back to Jesus? Uh, My family loves the Harry Potter movies. Um... And if one of them comes on TV, it doesn't matter if it comes in the middle of the movie. Uh, we just watch all the way through to the end. And because we know the story so well, it doesn't matter where we jump in. Because we know what came before, and we know what's going to come after. But we love it. So we want to keep watching it. Can we do that with the Bible? 
Can you jump in? Are you familiar enough with the story? And if not, I'm not trying to like shame you. I'm just saying, if we want to be helpful to people, if we want to point them to Jesus, we need to be able to point out Jesus in the Bible. And we have to let people know that the gospel is good news for them. Now, I can't help but think that the, uh, the eunuch might have wondered how this uh, thing about Jesus has anything to do with him. But the gospel is good news for eunuchs too. He might say, okay, uh, Jesus died for God's people, like we sang uh, in the songs, but I'm not part of God's people, Philip. Uh, I'm not Jewish. I'm African. I don't look like you. I don't think I belong. Not only that, when I went to the temple, I saw this wall that was keeping me out of where the presence of God was, and there was this death inscription on it. This is what it said in the temple. Uh, On this wall, there's a death inscription on the outside. It said, no foreigner may enter within this barricade, which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Real welcoming, huh? (laughs) Basically, they said, you want to come to worship God? You want to come in here? Your death is on your own head. And what Philip gets to say to the Ethiopian is he says, Jesus is creating a new temple. It's his body. And it's not just for Jewish people. It's not just for people who look like me. It's for all kinds of people. It's for people from all over the place. And the death inscription, yeah, that still, that still stands because God's a holy God. And it, it's a death penalty for sinners to get in front of a holy God. But guess what? You don't have to pay that penalty Because when you come in to the sanctuary now, your death is not on your own head. Your death is on the head of Jesus. He has borne the penalty for your sins. And he might have even taken them back just a couple verses in Isaiah 53. To look and to say that on Jesus was the punishment that brought us peace. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. By his wounds, we are healed. Or maybe he would go uh, forward a few chapters up to Isaiah 56. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm just a dry tree. For this is what God says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, to the eunuchs that hold fast to the things that please me, I'm going to give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that's better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. That's good news. That's good news for eunuchs. That's good news for you and me. That God is saying there's something even better than everything that you've given up in this life. A lasting generation. And I think what's incredible is that the eunuch goes back to Ethiopia rejoicing. And as far as we know, the Ethiopian church was started, which is one of the oldest churches uh, in, on the planet. It's actually older than the church in Europe. Uh, so Christianity came to Africa before it came to Northern Europe. So it came to black and brown people before it came to white people. And the, early, the history of the early church is largely African <laughs> And so you've got these leaders of the early church. And guess who was the first one? This guy. He has a generation that has lasted. He has a legacy that has lasted. And how did it begin? Just through the simple obedience of Philip. Speaking 
listening, following God's word. And when we speak, when we listen, when we follow God's word and we welcome people in, I mean, it, it creates this, this powerful sense of God's presence. And so uh, we, we, we didn't read this, but there's this moment at, at the end, after he explains the gospel, he tells them the good news about Jesus. The eunuch says this. They're going along the road and they come to some water. This is verse 36. And the eunuch says, hey, here's some water. What is keeping me? What's preventing me from being baptized? The reason I think that's beautiful is because, as we've said before, baptism is the mark of belonging in the body of Christ. It's the sign that we apply to people to say, now you're a member of the covenant community. Now you belong. Now you're one of us. And so this eunuch, this outsider, this person who looked at all the people in the temple and was like, I can't belong because the stuff that makes me different makes me wrong. He looked and he said, I guess nothing's keeping me from belonging now. So can you baptize me? And Philip's like, sure. And I just think that's incredible. Do we want to be a welcoming people? In the next phase of our life together as a church, are we going to be listening to God? Are we going to be speaking God's word? Are we going to be welcoming God's people, bringing them in, and letting them know they have a place at the table here too? Well, it was a beautiful um, Sunday to speak about these things because we have the Lord's table set here. And um, this is a meal that Jesus instituted. So on, on the night when he was betrayed, he took his disciples in the upper room and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he poured out the wine and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for you and shed for many from all tribes, tongues, and nations for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so I, I, I just want to welcome you. Uh, with, with the passage from Isaiah 55 that we read at the beginning of the service, which said, just come, take and eat. If you don't have money, come and, and, and freely enjoy what the Lord has provided. All are welcome. But if you don't know Jesus, if, if you haven't professed faith in Jesus, I would just say, you know, don't come forward and take the bread and the wine. Stay in your seat and take what the bread and the wine symbolize. Take Jesus. Believe in him. Trust in him. And then afterwards, come and uh, find one of the elders. Uh, uh, find me and, and talk to us. And we'd love to to instruct you more in the Bible and let you know how uh, next time when we come together, you can enjoy communion as a, as a child of God. And also, uh, if you don't speak English, um, esta uh, cena santa no es uh, solamente para miembros de esta iglesia, es para uh, todas las personas que son creyentes en el Señor Jesucristo. So, también, uh, esta santa cena es... es Para vosotros. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, coming to us, for speaking to us, for guiding us, for uh, directing your church. Lord, would you uh, 
be with us. Thank you for providing all that we need for your generosity. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, The ushers will come forward and uh, they'll dismiss you by rose.